Appreciate Philip reading from John just a moment ago, reminding us of the grace upon grace that we receive through Jesus Christ. And when I was asked to come and present a message from God's Word, I, I wanted it to be something that, that would be, we could walk away and, and, and have a, a, a great understanding of, of, of God's grace and, and see it through the example of a life um, of someone in Scripture that, quite frankly, I, I'm not sure how he made it into the Hall of Fame of Faith. Quite frankly, when I look at the Hall of Fame in Hebrews chapter 11, there's a few names on there, including this one, that we wonder, how did he get in? Like, how did, how did Samson get in? But he did, and he did so by God's grace. And if I find myself in the presence of King Jesus for eternity, it will only be by God's grace, not on my own merit. And so as we get ready to surround that, we all want grace. Sometimes it can be challenging to extend grace to other people. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. It's been about five years ago that Misty's father had lost his battle with cancer after fighting very hard. Misty's father had been a, a radio disc jockey here in Northeast Arkansas for a number of years, but he had moved to Florida in his retirement uh, loved music, um, lo loved, loved all things music. Uh, Jerry, had, his house was decorated with, with a lot of memorabilia and a lot of, uh, of souvenirs from, from places they had visited that just to, to kind of, you know, just like shine the, the light on those, those, those things that they enjoyed about music. Um, and, and so he also had served in the National Guard, and he was very proud of that, and we were as, as well. But, but after Misty called me, she, she went down to Florida. I stayed here um, in, in, in Paragould with, with the kids while she was gone, uh, and she, she called me and said, I just want you to know Dad has passed. And she said, I'll, I'll call you back in a few minutes. The funeral directors are about to be here to assist, and, and I'll call you back after a couple of minutes. And I said, that's fine. And so she did call back, and, and Misty she said, you won't believe what just happened. I said, what happened? She said, well, well the funeral directors came in. There was two of them. One of them was around 50-something, and he seemed like he had done this a number of times and, and had his act together. She said the other guy was in his early 20s, looked like he had just started, and she said he was walking around, and, and, and he said, well, you know, I'm just really sorry for your loss. And he, he said, I, I guess your dad really loved music, didn't he? And Misty said, yeah, he did. He loved music. And your dad, he also, he served our country. And Misty said, yeah, that's right. And Misty's tending to something, and he's actually staring at a picture on the wall. He's, he's sitting there looking at this picture, and he says, I, I'll just go ahead and say it. Your dad, when he was younger, he was a sharp-looking man. And Misty kind of turned and looked over at him and said, well, no, Paul, you're going to have to hit it because they don't want to go for me. No, that's Elvis. <laughs> and the kid was like, oh, oh, Elvis, yeah, him. So, we'll see if we, you may have to be my guy today, Paul. I don't think it wants to work for me. Oh, it just, it buzzed on me. All right, I do get to use this today. There we go. Uh, I told Misty, she, she's like, you know, so what, what do I do with that? She's like, I, I got to go in there and talk to him in a minute. I said, honey, listen, just don't worry about it. He's just doing his best. She says, all right, I got to go. I said, Misty, now don't be cruel. And so she went on in and <laughs> decided to listen to what he had to say to her. When you look at the Hall of Fame, um, without a doubt, there's some blemishes on some of the resumes. That is ever so true about the person we are going to read about, Samson. 
Obviously, when I say the word Samson, some things come to mind. You already have a picture in your mind of what you think Samson might have been like. Well, let's just kind of talk about that today and see if we can't find out what the scriptures have to reveal to us about this man, Samson. Now, when you go to the book of Judges, often what you'll see is that God's people are being oppressed by a foreign nation. Not exclusively, but most often the Philistines. These were individuals who, who would often um, take the, the people of Israel into captivity or would just make life difficult on them where they were. And that's really where we find this story when we pick up. The Philistines have been oppressing have been pressing down the people of Israel for some 40 years. And now God wants to do something about that. So let's look at Judges chapter 13. I'm going to start in verses 3 through 5. Here we read, it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore... Be careful and drink no wine or strong drink. Eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Now this is what you call a gender reveal party. I know many of you that whenever you found out you were having a little boy, little girl, you did a gender reveal party, you put it on Facebook, you wanted people to see it. This is the party of all parties. An angel shows up and says, this is what is going to happen. When I look back in scripture, I can only think of three other people who their birth is foretold. Isaac. That's the son of Abraham who will be the child of promise that will eventually bring about the Messiah. John the Baptist, he's the forerunner of Jesus. He's the prophet crying out in the wilderness. And third, that's Jesus himself. So you have Isaac, you have John the Baptist, you have Jesus, and now you can add to that list Samson. Four people that their, their, their birth is foretold in the Bible. Now, in this particular context, the Israelites are not calling out to God for a deliverer because that's what a judge was. The judge was a deliverer. And they're not calling out to God for deliverance. Evidently, God's people had become very accustomed to just kind of going along with whatever the Philistines wanted. And I believe there's a lesson here for us. Often when, when, when Satan attacks and when the enemy attacks, sometimes he chooses persecution. And it's it's overt. You can see it. But there's many other times where the enemy just chooses accommodation, where God's people just kind of get accustomed to whatever is going on, not crying out to their God for help. And I'm glad we, we live in a world that that's not the case anymore, right? But when I go back to Judges, there's a phrase that is used over and over and over. In those days, Israel had no king, and everybody did as they saw fit. That seems to be where God's people are in this moment. So you have this take place where this birth is foretold. Now there's some interesting things about his life I want to point out to you and kind of show you here today. First of all, 
this, this idea that, 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 that God's heroes didn't need faith, I think we all would agree that wouldn't be the case. But God, he gives salvation. He gives the deliverance that they need, even though they didn't ask for it. And Jesus, at the same time, did we ask for him? Did the people ask for Jesus for salvation? No, but at just the right time, God sent Jesus into the world to give the salvation. Now, you notice a few things about this Nazarite vow. I want you to notice some things about it. You can't touch dead stuff. So to quote, quote Nacho Libre, no dead guy duty. <laughs> no dead stuff. Can't touch anything that's dead. No alcohol. No strong drink. And he cannot have his head shaved. And also, this vow it was from the womb, not just from birth. Now, there are times where we see in scriptures where people will take a Nazarite vow for a short time. His vow is for his entire life, all the way going back to when he was in his mother's womb, which must have presented some difficult things. Can you imagine Samson losing a close friend, losing a grandparent, and mom and dad coming in and saying, listen, Samson, you can't go. You can't be around grandpa's dead body. And yeah, your cousin's getting married, and there's going to be a huge festival, a huge celebration, lots of people, and lots of wine. So you can't go. You can't be around grapes, anything that would come from a vine. You can't be a part of those things. I wonder what that would have looked like for him as a youth. I wonder if he thought this isn't fair. I didn't ask for this, but it's what God was calling him to. In chapter 20, or staying in chapter 13, but I want to show you in 24 and 25, it says, And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson, and the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him. Now focus on these phrases for a moment, that God is blessing him, and that the Spirit of God is beginning to stir within him because often when we think about Samson people wonder well, well how was he so strong it's because the spirit of God the spirit is stirring in him this is what is going to give Samson his strength now when I was growing up we had those big old picture bibles you know that you would give a kid and it had all kinds of pictures and drawings from 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 various scenes and and when I was growing up most of the stuff I saw about Samson really mirrored this. You have this huge, hulking dude with, with, with long hair, with the jawbone of that donkey after he killed all of those Philistines. He's got some blood on him. This is how I viewed Samson growing up. But I've begun to wonder why. Does the Bible tell us anywhere that Samson was big? Nope. Does the Bible tell us anywhere he had huge muscles like Brock Lesnar or Hulk Hogan? I don't believe so. Nowhere in the Bible does it mention anything about his size. In the Bible, it doesn't hesitate or shy away from telling you when somebody is a physical specimen. Goliath, we're given all kinds of dimensions about that guy. Joseph, well-built and handsome. Think about also 
Absalom, the Bible tells us not a blemish on him. Right now, some of the husbands are nudging their wives like, yep, honey, that one's about me, not a blemish. So the Bible has no problem telling us when somebody is a physical specimen, it never says one thing about his size, the circumference of his biceps, nothing of that nature. In fact, in regards to Samson's strength, the only thing that seems to absolutely perplex people is this. How? How? How can this guy do what he does? Which makes me start to think perhaps Samson looked a lot more like a lot of us than he did this. Because when people saw what he did, they marveled at his strength. Now, one time he's on his way to his wedding. You see it in chapter 14. And there's a verse here that I wanted to point out to you. It says, when the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, once again, says nothing about his testosterone level, it's the Spirit of God, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. All right, I got a quick question. Raise your hand if you have torn apart a young goat with your hands. No one? I mean, this is humorous to me. It's, yeah, it's like, man, he tore apart that line like you tear apart a goat. I don't tear apart goats. And it's like, yeah, he lifted up a truck like you'd lift up your car. I can't do that either. I've made a list of animals that I can tear apart with my hands. So far, my list has moth, ant, and earthworm. That's it. But it says, oh, yeah, he tore that thing apart just like you would like a, like a goat says something about his strength running through him, given by the Spirit of God. And he'll go by the, 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 the carcass of this lion, which now has honeycomb growing in it later. He'll scoop his hand in, he'll get that honey, he'll eat the honey, and, and guess what? He just violated his Nazarite vow. God said, don't touch, or don't touch dead things. He just did. He violated the vow he had made to God. And then when he does this, he goes to the wedding and he makes this statement to the Philistine men who are there because he's married a Philistine woman. He says, what comes out of something that was sweet to eat? And they're confused. They don't understand his joke. And because they can't take a joke, they go to his wife and say, listen, we can't figure out what this joke and riddle mean. So either you tell us or we're going to kill you. So she goes to him and she pesters him and he gives in gives the punchline into the lion, and he finds out he's angry. And he's so angry, he made a bet, if you remember, so he has to now go beat up 30 men and strike them down, take their cloaks, and give them to now these Philistine men. And I'm thinking, if I was one of those 30, while I'm getting my tail handed to me, I'm thinking, what did I do to deserve this? But Samson, in his anger, just rages. Chapter 15, we see some other things taking place. Actually, in no, this actually, before I get to 15, four, in 14, uh, this is what he says to those men after they get his riddle. If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. This is a very important and valuable lesson. Men, never refer to the woman you love as a heifer. Moving on, you see in chapter 15, where he actually now is running from the Philistines. He's done so many things to provoke them that they're angry. 
so many things to frustrate them that they do want to kill him. So he runs and hides in a cave, and his Israelite brethren come to him and say, listen, Samson, enough's enough. We're going to have to bind you and turn you over to the Philistines. Now in 20 years, 20 years serving as judge, not one time do you see the Israelites rally behind Samson. Think about Gideon. He had a huge army. It got pretty small, but that was God's will. You think about Deborah and Barak. You think about the judges and how when they came to deliver the people, the army of God got behind them. Samson, not once do the people of God get behind him and say, we will follow you wherever you go. Samson, because of his arrogance and because of his unbridled passions, distances himself from God's people all to the degree that they say, you're on your own. You're an army of one. And that was not a good thing. He distanced himself from God's people instead of leading them the way that God had wanted. Now, this idea of being God's deliverer, these great feats of strength, all of these things, we see failure after failure after failure after failure in his life. But I would argue Samson's life is not one of failure after failure. His life is one of grace upon grace upon grace. Because at any moment, God could have changed the plan. But God had said, you will begin to save Israel from their enemy. He wants to get married one day. So he says to his mom and dad, Samson, he goes down to Timnah. And, and at Timnah, he, he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he, then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people? You must go and, and, and take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines. But Samson said to his father, Get her for me. She's right in my eyes. In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did what was right in their eyes. You just saw that come to life. A man virtually said it to the patriarch of the family. When the patriarch speaks, you listen. Samson just disregarded the patriarch and said, I don't care what you want. I don't care what God wants. She's right to me. Go get her. Hmm. His credibility, it's weakened because of his lack of character, and it's his whole life. This isn't just simply a moment of weakness. When we see Samson's life, it's not a moment of weakness, it's a pattern of weakness. It's a pattern of rebellion. It's constant rebellion against his God who has called him to great things. And I ask myself, how much am I like Samson? Not just a moment of weakness, but a pattern of weakness. He had made a, a mistake, and I think it's one that, that we make from time to time as well. If I can get it to go, but I don't think it wants to. Paul, I'll let you hit that for me. There we go. He believed God's grace meant God condoned his sin. He's figured, hey, I still have my strength. I'm getting all these women. 
No one can match me. I'm the leader of Israel. I guess things are going okay. Sometimes we do the same. But church, let us not mistake the blessing of God with the favor of God. Are you tracking with me? You think, well, yeah, I know I'm not living the way I should be. I'm not the type of spouse I need to be or the type of parent or the type of worker or any of those things. But, but I mean, look at the house. Nice big house. Look at the car. Look at the truck. You know, everything seems to be going good. 401k looks great. Going on a trip here this summer. Do not misunderstand the blessing of God with his approval of our lives. Samson's just doing what he wants, thinking this must not be a big deal. God does want to give mercy. God, he does want to show grace. But please hear me, church. God will not be mocked, and a man will reap what he sows. So he decides, well, maybe we need to kind of shake things up. We see in Judges chapter 16, 4 through 5. After this, he fell in love. Someone might say he fell in lust with a woman in the valley of Sarek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Seduce him and see where his great strength lies and by what means we, we may overpower him that we may blind him or bind him and humble him. And we will give you each, each of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Wow. Now, I don't know how many lords there were, but it's obvious it's plural. And they're stating, listen, we will all give you 1,100 pieces of silver if you simply can help us find out where his strength comes from. Because those are the, there's really two things they're trying to, to figure out. Number one, where's his strength? Now, the second thing was already obvious. We don't know where his strength comes from, but we know what his weakness is. Women. So Delilah, give him your body. Seduce him, and then he will tell you. This is just a business transaction. Sex for secrets. So help us out. So Delilah, she asks him, hey, help me understand, where does your great strength come from? He says, well, if you will tie me with fresh, you know, bowstrings, uh, bow that right there, if you tie me with those, I'll, I'll absolutely become as, as, as normal as anyone else. She does that. Philistines are here. He just pulls them off and says, yeah, you thought you had me, but you didn't. And this happens a second time. Next time it's fresh ropes. Third time it's, hey, why don't you weave my hair? And every time when the Philistines are upon him, he jumps up and says, hey, you thought you had me, but you don't. Now, you know, Delilah, she comes along and says, listen, this is not how we are to have a relationship. If we're going to have a, a good relationship built on immoral sex and other things, we also don't want to have secrets. So you just tell me, what is it? Where is your strength coming from? He says, my hair. It's never been shaved, never been cut. That's the source of the strength that I have from God. Now I know, a few of you are thinking, okay, Samson, he's pretty dumb. To go through this four different stages with her, he must be very, very dumb. And it's not that he's dumb. It's that he actually thinks he's smarter than everybody in the room. It's his arrogance in this moment. 
It's not that he's dumb. It's that he believes he is so smart that watch what happens. I, I get out of every situation. You won't be able to stop me. So that's what happens. She says, won't you just take a nap, fall asleep? It says that she fell, or he fell asleep there at her lap, which most writers believe this is that she got him drunk. And all of a sudden, here come the Philistines. They've shaved his head. She says, here they are. He jumps up and he can do nothing. And they don't just shave his head. They actually gouge out his eyes. Gouge him out. And it is, isn't it ironic a man who struggled with lust at such a degree his whole life, suddenly his eyes are gone. Now, there's a verse, if I can show you real quickly. 22, it says, But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. We'll just say it this way. This is God's grace. This is God's grace being shown to Samson. Yes, it is a story with many failures, but it's also been a story where grace is being given over and over and over. So even after he has betrayed God, after he has done all of the things God has asked him not to, God is now going to still give him grace. And God, his final act of mercy and final act of grace in Samson's life is the most astounding of all. And that's because God, he holds on to us more tightly than we hold on to him. The Philistines throw one more party. God had said, I'm going to deliver you from the Philistines, but how can he deliver them from the Philistines if he's marrying the Philistines and he's partying with them all the time? Well, this is all going to be different. Instead of him making sport of them, they now are making sport of him. They bring him in as a gesture at a huge palace. The Bible tells us the palace was so large that 3,000 people were on top of the roof of it, not to mention all of those that are within it. And this great party is going on, and he is now the clown. He has no strength of his own. The strength of God has left him. And he asks the servants, could you please position me between the pillars that hold up the building? And then something happens that we've not seen him do his whole life. Then Samson called on the Lord. In verse 30, it says he, he calls upon the Lord and then bowed with all of his strength. He bows with his strength. His life, failure after failure, arrogance, pride, and here he is now bowing on his last moments on earth. He bows his head and calls out to the Lord and says, please give me victory one more time. And the strength of the Lord, it rushes over him and he presses out the pillars and suddenly the whole palace comes crashing down, killing everybody in it. And the Bible says that he actually killed more of God's enemies on that day than he had his whole life. God never approved of Samson's failure, but God always accepts a humble spirit. God always accepts a humble spirit. The brother of Jesus once said, but, but he gives us more grace 
That is why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Every one of us have more in common with Samson than we'd like to believe. We sometimes look at the scriptures and we think, you know what, if I'm anybody from the Old Testament, I'm like King David. We're far more like Samson than we are David. And David had his issues too. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he, he made this statement to one of his followers. His name was Peter, he was one of the apostles, and he went by the name Simon. And Jesus says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have once again turned, strengthen your brothers. This is a beautiful text for us, church. Jesus says to Simon, Satan wants you, but I've prayed that you would not fail. But even when you do, come back. It's very possible that Satan has lifted up your name before God. Let me have a shot at her. Let me have a shot at that family. Let me have a shot at him and see if I can't bring him down. Jesus says, I've prayed for you. I've prayed for you. And when you fail, return, come back, strengthen your brothers and your sisters. There are many of us that in these type of moments, we think about our own life and our own choices. We think about what might have been, what could have been, what should have been. But by the power and the grace of God, never forget what still could be. God is not done with you yet, and his grace is sufficient. Samson, he was a deliverer, right? Jesus, he also, he was a deliverer, but he was a perfect deliverer. Samson, he picked up some gates and put them on his back and, and carried them up a hill once. Jesus picked up a cross and carried it up a mountain for you, for your sins. Samson said, let me die with my enemies. Your deliverer, Jesus said, let me die for my enemies. He is the greater Samson. Jesus Christ offers grace and forgiveness. It comes through his blood. It comes from his mercy and this day, that if you're needing that grace in any way, there are elders in this room that would love to come and sit here and pray alongside you. And there may be somebody today that needs to obey that gospel call to enter a covenant relationship with Jesus to have your sins washed away. Today, if you need the gospel of King Jesus, hesitate no more. Come right now. Let's stand and praise our King.